I didn't say I wanted to preach on that subject while the congregation was asleep. I'll preach as a dying man to dying men. We are getting our ideas from the Bible. We are taking the listeners for a swim in the text. We believe that only God makes a preacher, but we want to help him be more faithful. This is the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast with host, Pastor Rob Ginter. From six days to millions of years, how does understanding the creation account affect how we read the rest of the Bible? Get comfortable and grab your coffee for our chat with Answers in Genesis author and speaker, Bodie Hodge, as we talk about the hermeneutical implications of a six-day creation account. Bodie Hodge, welcome to the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast. Hey, it's great to be on the show. Talk to us today how understanding creation or misunderstanding creation can affect our understanding of the rest of the Bible. You know, one of the things we say here at Answers in Genesis, and we say this over and over again, is Genesis, particularly Genesis 1 to 11, is foundational to every major doctrine, theologically, uh, whether directly or indirectly. So virtually everything you see throughout the rest of the pages of Scripture are sitting on this foundation of Genesis 1 to 11. So it is extremely important. Let me just give you some of the basic doctrines that we sometimes don't even think about. You know, like, why is there a seven-day week? You know, that doesn't come from, you know, the sun. It doesn't come from the Earth's rotation. It doesn't come from the moon going around the earth. A week actually comes from the pages of scripture because God created everything in six days and he rested on the seventh day. And cultures all around the world actually honor a week. And yet a lot of times they have no reason or no understanding within their own worldview as to why that's the case. And what it is, you know, it uh, was passed down from Adam and Eve. It goes all the way down through the flood. It goes down through the Tower of Babel. People take it to various parts of the world. So that's just one basic doctrine. Think of another one. Um, You know, I I look at the the pastor here and myself, we're wearing clothes. (laughs) Uh, That's a good thing. That's actually a Christian doctrine. If you actually step back and think about it, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they were originally naked, but once they sinned, there was the shame associated with that sin. And so the first thing Adam and Eve wanted to do was put fig leaf coverings on themselves, which I don't know why they pick fig leaves. Fig leaves are make you itch and cause boils and all sorts of problems, but uh, it goes to show they were in a hurry. But those clothes were not good enough. The punishment for sin was death, so the solution had to involve death. And so the Lord sacrificed animals to make coats of skins for Adam and Eve. And so subsequently, that's why we ultimately wear clothing. Of course, Moses talks further about that sort of thing. And of course, we're to dress modestly and that sort of thing too. You know, the Bible talks about those things. But you know, in other cultures, in other religions, for example, why do they wear clothes? They're actually, again, borrowing that from the pages of Scripture, Genesis, as it was passed down through Noah, through the Tower of Babel, as people went to various parts of the world. You know, I once had an atheist come up, and, uh, you know, he was just just hopping mad at me there at the Creation Museum, and uh, he was just yelling, and, you know, I've, I've had this happen a number of times, but uh, he was upset with us for believing that God existed and that the Bible was true. He was just mad in the face for, for us actually believing that, and uh, all the while, he was doing this wearing his clothes. So finally, I, I just asked him a simple question. I said, okay, well, if you believe everything evolved uh, from single-celled organisms, that humans are just animals, and there's no God, why are you wearing clothes. And it was interesting. He just immediately stopped. He had no idea how to answer that question. I said, if we're just animals, you know, I saw some squirrels this morning. They didn't get up this morning, put their clothes on. I said, why in an atheistic worldview would you be wearing clothes? And he had absolutely no idea why he wore clothes. Now, what's interesting is that particular atheist was also wearing a wedding ring. And at the same time, then I asked him, I said, uh, 
listen, why did you get married from an atheistic perspective? The first words out of his mouth was, listen, I'm honorable to my wife. And I said, that's very Christian of you. And he was just silenced. Um, the thing is, in an atheistic worldview, your goal was to spread your genes to as many people as possible before you die. So he was totally going against that. What it was, he was actually borrowing from Christian doctrines that go back to the early pages of Genesis, whether he realized it or not. So we just talked about a week. We just talked about clothing. We just talked about marriage. Those are Christian doctrines. But do you realize Genesis 1 to 11 is foundational to every doctrine, even the gospel, even to hosts of other uh, doctrines throughout the rest of Scripture? So how have you seen a misunderstanding of a literal six-day creation wreak havoc as people try to understand other parts? You know, uh, an excellent example, of that, and that's a great question. I'm actually glad you asked that question. Uh, when people misunderstand Genesis 1 to 11, of course, that's going to throw the later doctrines off. And, uh, you know, I once chatted with a pastor, you know, God love him. He was a great guy, but he had bought into millions of years and long ages. Uh, instead of taking God at his word that God created everything in six days and rested on the seventh, he had bought into things like Big Bang and millions of years. Now, what was interesting about that was he did not recognize that in that particular scheme, death is actually considered a very good thing because you have millions of years of death, pain, struggling, and suffering. That's what we see in the fossil record. For example, those fossil layers, you know, uh, that, that, that go all the way down, those things are full of death. And that's where the idea of millions of years comes from. They get it from those rock layers. So you see animals eating other animals and, and just hosts of different uh, diseases and things like that that we see in the fossil record. And yet at the end of the creation week, God declared everything very good in Genesis 1.31. And so the problem that that pastor had run into was he was sitting there trying to give a sermon on why death was bad and why things like cancer are bad things and diseases are a bad thing. All the while, he was sitting there arguing that death was a good thing for millions of years and that uh, cancer in the fossil record and those types of things were a good thing. So there was this huge inconsistency and it came through with the congregation. So that was just one little instance uh, of that. Millions of years, Big Bang, these are ideas that actually come from an entirely different religion. And so it breaks my heart when Christians start to buy into that. And I don't say that lightly because years ago when I was in college, I actually considered what's called a progressive creation view. Basically, you take the days of creation and stretch them out to be millions and billions of years long. I actually read some books on that and I thought, well, maybe that's how God did it. And, uh, you know, I ran into so many theological problems. I ran into scientific problems. I had to reject that and just get back to the plain reading of scripture. But what that does, when you put millions and billions of years in there, what you're doing is you're taking a different religion and you're trying to mix it with your Christianity. Let me explain that a little bit more. Things like Big Bang, millions of years, revolutionary ideas, these actually come out of the religion of humanism, secular humanism properly. In fact, uh, a lot of secular uh, viewpoints are dominating our culture right now. They're on our school system, they're in the natural history museums, the secular media, and a lot of different places. So we're drilled with this sort of thing. But Big Bang is actually an idea of trying to explain where everything came from without God. Big Bang is a model that says, hey, uh, we're going to try to explain existence without the need to appeal to God. So it's actually a naturalistic, a secular viewpoint. Millions of years is trying to understand earth history without going back to the Bible and a global flood. This idea of millions of years in the rock layers uh, is assuming that everything was laid down slowly and gradually over long periods of time. But when we start with the Bible, there's a global flood over the course of a year that lays down the majority of those rock layers. So we're looking at the same evidence, two different interpretations. The point is, one is coming from an entirely different religion. Same with evolutionary ideas, you know, a single-celled organism evolving into someone uh, like me or you. Those are coming out of a naturalistic, secularistic, atheistic type of a worldview. 
And so when Christians go over and take some of that particular religion and they try to mix it with their Christianity, you run into theological, scientific problems, all sorts of issues uh, that just warp all sorts of doctrine. Um, I, you know, I've actually chatted with Christians who support abortion. And, you know, you, you've chatted, you know, we, you know, when I've chatted with some of these guys and, and gals, they, they say that, well, humans, we're, we're just animals. We're just going through our animal phases. And so it's okay to abort that baby while it's going, you know, through those animal developments. See, they've taken an evolutionary concept. They've tried to mix it with their Christianity to try to justify things like abortion. So it affects all sorts of things all around us, doctrines within the church, doctrines that are in our everyday uh, uh, application, which our church doctrine should be in our <laughs> everyday application. But those are the types of things that are happening. When you fold on Genesis 1 to 11, you start to fold on many other doctrines. So it seems like that there are two sides in this argument. On one side, you have the Christian six-day creation by God. And then on the other side, there is the atheistic evolution. But in, I would assume, fairly recent days, there's become a third group of people in which uh, we would call them theistic evolution, in which they've tried to marry the Christian creation with the atheistic evolution. And I noticed in Ken Ham's debate with Bill Nye several years ago that watching the aftermath of that is that the atheistic evolutionary people respect creationary Christians way more than they do people who try to put all this in the same cereal bowl. That's exactly the case. We even saw that with Richard Dawkins, probably uh, arguably the world's uh, most popular atheist, leading atheist out there. He said he has much more respect for those uh, Christians who actually believe and are consistent with the Bible than he does those who try to mix uh, the two different viewpoints. So yeah, I think you're exactly right on that. So maybe make an appeal uh, for the theistic evolution-believing person listening for us today. Right. Now, there, there's a lot of different variations, even within that theistic evolutionary group. You know, I mentioned progressive creation. There's gap theory a lot of people have heard of. Um, there's theistic evolution. There's framework hypothesis. There's a lot of these different variations, different ways people try to mix millions of years and evolutionary ideas with the Bible. But in every one of those instances, what they're trying to do is reinterpret Genesis chapter 1. They're trying to make it so that it can be uh, read in a different way, one way or another, so that they can account for the millions of years. And, uh, you know, like I said, I actually struggle with some of that myself. And I ran into the problem of death before sin. That's a huge problem. Because if you have millions of years of death, pain, struggling, and suffering before Adam sinned, and that's declared very good, well, then the punishment for sin was actually something very good. That's a huge problem theologically. In fact, that undermines the gospel because predicated on death being the punishment for sin not being, um, you know, some good thing that's just now suddenly applied to Adam. You see, the whole reason of Jesus stepping into history to become a man and die in our place goes back to a literal Genesis. Everything was originally perfect. There was no death, bloodshed, or suffering. We get that from Genesis 1, 29 and 30. Uh, humans, animals, we were all vegetarian. We weren't ripping other things apart. Uh, the first recorded death of anything was actually in Genesis 3 as a direct result of human sin. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, in Genesis 3.21, God made coats of skins from animals. So therefore, the animals were killed to take those coats of skins. And, uh, you know, that actually set the stage for sacrifice. From that point forward, we saw sacrifice. Uh, Adam and Eve, uh, you know, we saw that sacrifice. Noah offered sacrifices after the flood. Abraham did. The Israelites did. And that's all pointing to Jesus Christ, who's the final and ultimate sacrifice. And see, sometimes people have said, well, why weren't those animal sacrifices good enough? Well, here's the reason. Animals are not infinite. They're not eternal. 
um, when it comes to our sin, we're made in the image of an eternal God. Our souls are going to go on forever. And what we really needed was a perfect infinite sacrifice then that could take the infinite punishment from the infinite Father. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is infinite, he stepped into history to become a man. And when he died on the cross, he took that infinite punishment that we all deserve. And that was enough to satisfy God's wrath upon sin. That right there through the blood of Jesus Christ. But the power in it is that Christ did not remain dead. No, he had the power to lay down his life and take it up again. That's where the power is in all this. So as soon as you start to bind to the evolutionary ideas, the millions of years, Big Bang, things like that, what you're doing is you're undermining the gospel as presented throughout the pages of scripture. Bodie Hodge, you are playing my favorite song, <laughs> Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Dead in the Place of Sinners and Risen on the Third Day. And here on the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast, we crescendo with what we call the lightning round, in which you'll be struck with three questions. And if you wouldn't mind to answer them in a sentence. Okay, I'll try to be as concise as possible. It is a exercise in brevity for expositors. So, you know, the guy that says in closing, 45 minutes before it's over, he would struggle in a moment like this. Well, question number one. What is a book on creationism that you would recommend that you yourself did not write? That I did not write. Can it be one that I contributed to, but it was mostly other people? Sure. I would suggest it be this one. This is a great place to start. The answer is book volume one. There's actually four volumes all total. Uh, Ken Ham is a general editor. I contributed maybe a chapter or two in here. But by and large, it is written by a number of other experts answering top questions, anything from dinosaurs, Big Bang, evolution, carbon dating, radiometric dating, distant starlight, fossils, Noah's Ark and the Flood, and so forth. But that is the New Answers book, Volume 1. That's what I would suggest. Question number two. What do you do for fun? <laughs> oh, I've got four kids. I do all sorts of stuff for fun. <laughs> but uh, this is because of their hobbies. But, uh, you know, I really enjoy uh, baseball. My son uh, likes to play baseball, so I actually uh, help coach him. I'm one of, the, one of the many coaches on the team. And, uh, you know, they have a really good team. They have a lot of fun. And it's great to be able to help mentor these, uh, these kids and help them grow uh, in a lot of different ways. So uh, it, it really is an honor to do that. But that's one of the many things I like. Well, and this final question, as someone who engages in uh, debate and discussion over complex issues, uh, I'll bring one to the table today in the final question of the lightning round. Brace yourself. Uh, is a hot dog considered a sandwich? Why or why not? Oh, boy. Well, let's, let's do it this way. Let's say if you, if you put a slice of cheese on it, then it's a sandwich. If you don't, it's not. How's that? <laughs> Right. arbitrary. Pure, you know what? I admit it. But, uh, Cheese makes everything better. Sure. There we go. And you've made our discussion better today. Thank you very much, Bodie Hodge, for joining us today on the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast. Thank you, Pastor Rob. Thank you for listening to the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast. You can find us online at goversebyverse.com.